Commercial lending at our big bank is a process that begins with AD, that's application data, being sent off to HQ, headquarters. Sounds like that could take a while. <laughs> it will. At Franklin Savings Bank, our commercial lending decisions are made locally, resulting in faster loan approvals. Drop into any of our Lakes Region or Southern New Hampshire branches, including Merrimack and Goffstown, to find out what we can do for you. Or visit fsbnh.bank. Franklin Savings Bank. Together, we are community. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. Edgestone Properties is a leading home builder in Southern New Hampshire. With over 33 years' experience, Edgestone offers highly valued residential homes, including first-time buyer, luxury move-up, and senior community opportunities. Edgestone also offers well-located rental apartments, including active adult communities. Visit us at edgestoneproperties.com or call us at 603-889-5208 to learn more. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. That's 603-889-5208. Next up, you'll be listening to United Way Community Connections with Mike Affelberg. United Way Community Connections. United Way Community Connections broadcasts every Monday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. right here on WSMN. In United Way Community Connections, you will be introduced to leaders from all of the great nonprofits in Greater Nashua. From caring for our children to our seniors, from helping our homeless pets to our at-risk vets, from learning the skills to get your GED, to dealing with trauma and substance abuse. Community Connections is the place to learn with Mike Affelberg about what's going on. Learn how you can help and make a difference from the experts. So sit back, grab a cup of coffee, and enjoy the show, which is making a difference in Greater Nashua. Here's your host, Mike Affelberg. Testing, testing. Okay, so welcome to the Community Connections Radio Show. I am not entirely sure what was going on, but uh, I'm hoping that my friend George Russell is listening in and understands that I was actually following his instructions from this morning and uh, went to use my first microphone and it didn't work. So I'm using the guest microphone and that seems to work just fine. So welcome to the Community Connections Radio Show. I am your host, Mike Affelberg, and we are here each and every Monday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. talking with you about the nonprofits in our community. It is Monday, March 21st, 2022, and I'm hoping everybody had a fantastic weekend. I had a great weekend. Um, you know, the weather wasn't awesome. Let's, you know, that's all right. But what was great about the weekend was that it was my wife's birthday. So I have been throwing my wife birthday parties since she was 16 years old and this was the 40th time doing that so you could do the math I, I know that it's not you know the appropriate thing to say like how old a woman is on the air of commercial radio so I'm not going to say but let's just say this is the 40th time I've been celebrating with her since she was 16 years old and uh, you know that's all I gotta say it was great happy birthday honey um 
We had the kids over. That was fantastic. Yesterday we took a traditional holiday, you know, end of spring or end of winter rather, early spring birthday walk along the Marginal Way up in uh, Maine, which was great up in Ogunquit, and it was beautiful, and it always is beautiful regardless of whatever else um, um, is is going on in the weather. And uh, yeah, it was just like one of those great weekends. So I'm hoping you had one just the same. Um, it is beautiful out today, I have to say. I am stunned. I'm looking outside right now. Um, here from the WSMN studio turret on Main Street, right across from the Performing Arts Center. Lots of work going on there, which you can see on the WSMN.live um, webcam. And uh, the uh, what else is going on? Um, well, at United Way these, these days, there's a lot going on. I'm going to share a little bit about that. And But before I do, I'm going to tell you a little bit about our radio show. So each and every Monday morning, we come to the air. At uh, nine o'clock in the morning, and we interview two different, typically two different nonprofits. Um, the uh, over the course of a year, that means you're going to hear from over a hundred different organizations in our community that are working hard day in and day out to make Greater Nashua a place which is stronger, smarter, safer, healthier, and happier for all of us who live and work here. And um, that's a good thing, right? Because as they say, the more you know, the you know, the better you'll be uh, in a position to help people out when they come to you and they're looking for some guidance. So, you know, you it's not hard to imagine that your you know, summer is coming up and you're going to be maybe sitting around having a family picnic or something like that. And somebody's going to mention to you that they know somebody who's maybe fallen on hard times or maybe is struggling with substance abuse or mental health issues or needs to get a teeth cleaning but can't afford to do that or maybe they need help with fuel assistance or housing or you know supports for getting their high set um, high school diploma you know there's so many different things that I just mentioned that all of which are done by nonprofits in our community and we are I believe um, wired to want to help. I think that's encoded in somehow in our DNA. Probably goes back to the caveman days, right? It doesn't everything. And um, maybe we, uh, you know, you want to help. You have that impulse. You're like, well, what can I do for you? And the best thing you can do is actually to connect people. So if you've been listening to the show, paying attention, you're invariably going to have heard about an organization that might do exactly the thing that you just heard about and just pass along that information and create that referral or that connection for them. And by the way, don't just do that because there's always more than one answer I find to these things. There's also perhaps other agencies or resources out there. And um, also typically people have um, problems beyond the problem that they're looking at. So for example, if somebody says, you know, I'm struggling to pay for, you know, fuel, well, if you're struggling to pay for fuel, you're probably also struggling to pay for food and housing and childcare and transportation. And all of these are the things that, you know, looked at holistically make up that sort of economic profile of a family or an individual. So my suggestion is also um, help with that direct referral, but also connect them to 211. 211 is a program run by Granite United Way, which is our sister United Way just to the north of us in Manchester. And it's supported by all of the United Ways in the state. Um, so we all help in a way to run the program. 
And uh, what 211 is, is a database of all of the different organizations and their services services in our community. And it's also a call center. So if you call 211, just actually dial the number 211 from any um, telephone in the 603 area code, they're going to, you're going to get an operator, a real live person on the line, and you can talk talk about the situation at hand, and they can help to connect you to the resources that might exist in the community. So that's a pretty great thing to do. So, so give that direct referral and also talk about 211. That's a good reason to listen to the show, but if that's not enough for you, it's possible that you're also one of those many, many, many individuals in our community who likes to give back. And there are at least two different ways of giving back. One is to make a donation of financial resources. And all of the nonprofits that we talk to, um, they all survive on, on generosity of our community in terms of financial support. You know, the other way in which people give back is through their time. And at the end of the day, time is money, right? So if you have a little bit of time and you want to give it to an organization, you can volunteer. And that's also a great way of supporting um, these different nonprofit organizations. So today when we talk with our first guest, Hannah from Marguerite's Place, we'll talk about both of those things. How can you support Marguerite's Place and their mission of um, helping to bring stability to homeless mothers in our community. So you might want to donate some money or you might want to donate some time. Or if you're really a super duper good doobie, you might want to do both. Um, Or maybe you know somebody who wants to and you can just connect them. So that's kind of, if that's the reason to listen to this show, I I would say, um, please pass that along to a friend of yours and say, hey, listen to the Community Connections radio show. That's awesome. They, They got a lot of great stuff going on. So yeah, so that's about it. What's going on these days at United Way? Um, well, a couple weeks ago, so two weeks ago and last week, so a week before last and last week, we had um, our launch of our Nashville Loves Our Community School Superheroes program, and we, uh, as, as uh, everybody from the schools came back from their February vacation, we met them with teams of volunteers at the schools who did a little bit of cheerleading, had signs for them, had cards for them, had chocolates for them had buttons for them, and just to say, you know, we appreciate you, we see you, we appreciate you, and we love what you've done with with and for our kids throughout the pandemic. It's been a pretty rough couple of years, right? And, uh, <clears throat> you know, needless to say, not just it's been rough in terms of trying to figure out how to educate kids, but it's also been rough in terms of, you know, maybe some of the social media out there, for example, hasn't always been super nice and kind to educators. And people, um, people can be mean, right? And so we wanted to, to counterbalance that by um, a campaign of love for our community educators. That's not just teachers, right? That's pa- teachers, paraeducators, administrators, librarians, school f- food support workers, people who work in the IT department, people who um, are in the janitorial and the maintenance staffs, librarians, um, secretaries, kind of the list goes on and on. There are a lot of people that work in a school to make that happen. So um, thank you to all of them. Our next phase for that program, we're going to do a little bit of a public uh, ribbon campaign where you, you've probably seen this over the years where people will tie like a red ribbon during Cancer Awareness Month or maybe a uh, – or pink ribbon rather, red ribbon um, in support of um, a cause like um, prevention – 
drug treat, drug prevention or other types of ribbons. So we're going to do a ribbon campaign in our communities. We've looked up what are the colors of each of the school schools in the area. And we're going to have ribbons that can be picked up in a variety of places, including hopefully not just United Way, but also at the various libraries around town. And then you're going to be able to put a ribbon on your mailbox or put a ribbon um, uh, you know, around a tree in your yard and demonstrate uh, community support that way for all of our educators. So that's coming up as well. And then uh, we get to Earth Day. We're having a big event for the first time. We're doing a recycling event. It's kind of new to us, but it's not just any old recycling. It's technology. So we're going to be doing a drive over the course of an entire week where people can drop off things like old laptops and computers and TVs and air conditioners and just old electro junk. And we're going to turn that into a little bit of money to support our school supply pantry and a whole lot of good to keep it out of the landfill. So that's coming up as well. Then we have Mother's Day where we're doing our Mother's Day roses for our homeless moms in our community. That's something we've done quite a bit over the years, um, including with Marguerite's Place. And then we get into June and we're going to do Over the Edge again. So your opportunity to um, sort of uh, rappel with me off of the Brady Sullivan Tower in Manchester is coming up as well. So lots going on at United Way, lots going on in our community. And um, I think that's about all I wanted to mention this morning. So what we're going to do is we're going to take our first break and uh, give our sponsors a chance just to kind of talk about themselves. Our show is brought to you by Edgestone Properties, by Franklin Savings Bank, and by Fully Promoted and Embroid Me of Bedford. Um, all three sponsors help us to bring this show to the airwaves, and uh, we are very appreciative for that. So we're going to give them a chance to, to give a, a self-promotional shout-out to themselves. And then we'll be on with our first guest, which is Hannah Stoller from Marguerite's Place. You are listening to the Community Connections Show, and I'm your host, Mike Affelberg. Commercial lending at our big bank is a process that begins with AD, that's application data, being sent off to HQ, headquarters. Sounds like that could take a while. (laughs) It will. At Franklin Savings Bank, our commercial lending decisions are made locally, resulting in faster loan approvals. Drop into any of our Lakes Region or Southern New Hampshire branches, including Merrimack and Goffstown, to find out what we can do for you. Or visit fsbnh.bank. Franklin Savings Bank. Together, we are community. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. Edgestone Properties is a leading home builder in Southern New Hampshire. With over 33 years' experience, Edgestone offers highly valued residential homes, including first-time buyer, luxury move-up, and senior community opportunities. Edgestone also offers well-located rental apartments, including active adult communities. Visit us at edgestoneproperties.com or call us at 603-889-5208 to learn more. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. That's 603-889-5208. Since 1930, United Way of Greater Nashua has been your trusted partner to fight for the health, education, and financial stability of every person in every community. When a low-income child needs access to dental care, or parents need quality after-school programs where their kids can learn and be safe, United Way is there. When a person with disabilities needs a supportive day program where they can thrive, or a family loses its home and needs a place to regain financial stability, United Way is there. When a homebound senior needs food and supportive social connections, or when it comes time to die with dignity, United Way is there. The programs supported by your United Way are the heart and soul of Greater Nashua. When you volunteer or donate to United Way, you lift up the community where you live and you work. As a highly regarded nonprofit with Charity Navigator and GuideStar, you can be sure that your donations will be used for the work of making Greater Nashua stronger, smarter, and safer. Learn more and connect with us at unitedwaynashua.org. 
Well, good Monday morning, and welcome to the Community Connections Radio Show. I'm your host, Mike Affelberg. It is Monday, March 21st, 2022. I was just reflecting back here, um, thinking about this during the break. You know, it's like two years ago when the pandemic was first starting, which was just about now, two years ago, and I came into the studio. Uh, There were a couple of times in March... When I was literally the only person, I think, in in Nashua. And it was so weird because I did this. I never stopped really broadcasting live throughout the pandemic. And uh, it was just so strange and surreal to be on Main Street and look up and down Main Street and have zero, like nobody, no cars, no people walking around. It was kind of like what I always imagined the Andromeda strain was like. It was very strange. And now you look up and down Main Street and it's great. The town has come back to life. We've got the Performing Arts Center being built. We've got traffic. We've got traffic jams. We've got people walking around, and it actually is, uh, you know, a really darn good thing to see. So I'm pretty happy about that. But it is strange to reflect on that. So I have with me in the studio today, um, for the next uh, 15 minutes or so, the executive director of one of our community's organizations that works with the homeless in a very specific way, and that's Marguerite's Place. Um, Hannah Stoller is their executive director, and I'm super excited to have her with me. And um, we're going to talk a little bit about what they're doing and how they're making a difference. So, Hannah, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Thanks for ha- thanks for having you. Thank you for being here. I understand <laughs> you. Did you just get off a plane or something? About six hours ago. It was supposed to be about 12 hours ago, just a weekend with friends. but um, So, three in the morning. Yeah. The JetBlue gods were not on my team. But I'm here oh, yeah. and excited to be here. Well, uh, we're glad to have you back um, safe and sound here in Nashua. And uh, the uh, Marguerite's Place. So you've been here a couple of years now um, overseeing this organization. So tell us a little bit about Marguerite's Place. What do you guys do? How are you making a difference in our community? Sure. Uh, so, yes, I've been here almost three years. I had a, a solid nine months before the pandemic hit. So um, when people talk about well, at least what you was had normal, something, right? I know, you know when people say, oh, what was normal? I was like, I'm not sure if I ever fully knew that, which could have been a benefit. Um, so Marguerite's Place has a 28-year history in Nashua of um, helping uh, families experiencing homelessness, instability, crisis um, to stabilize and develop critical self-sufficiency skills in order to be able to um, thrive um, and um, become healthy, happy um, members of our national community. Uh, and so what that looks like is we are about a five-minute drive from here on Palm Street. We have 10 residential apartments that families who are um, experiencing homelessness are exiting kind of an emergency program or a recovery program or otherwise um, in some situation that is not stable for them, um, can move in. Uh, And those are for mothers who um, have children in their custody. And they work really intensively with our staff for an average of two years. It can really um, vary. For some folks, it's a nine-month reset. And for some people, it's four years of really waiting for Next Step Housing to become an opportunity for them. Um, And we work um, really on an individual basis of providing um, coaching, uh, support, accountability, goal setting um, to help them um, 
work on everything from mental health to career to um, financial mobility um, uh, with the goal that folks can then move on to permanent housing um, somewhere in our community. So Hannah, um, what are, are there any age limits on both the children and the mothers in your program? There are not. So um, that was something that um, uh, had been the case in the past many years ago, but we're realizing that um, especially post-pandemic, that um, uh, family homelessness is not a um, age-bound thing. It is something that many, many families in our communities face. Um, uh, so uh, any um, children under the age of um, 18 for the most part. Um, sure. Uh, so I know many of us live at home with our parents beyond then, but there are some um, stipulations. So like real children, not adult children. <laughs> yes, real children. <laughs> uh, my, my, I, I hope had... my parents don't talk about me that way. Well, I talk about my kid that way, you know. So my, you know, our daughter, um, you know, she came back after college and lived with us for a while. Mm -hmm. We invited that. We mm -hmm. brought it. We brought this upon ourselves, mm -hmm. as they say. But she was no, definitely an adult child, not a child <laughs> child. So Hannah, um, the uh, one of the things you added a couple of years back, which I think is pretty great, is you added also an element of childcare to your program. Is that right? Yeah. So actually, childcare has been part of our program since almost the inception of the program. We just opened it up to the public as well. But um, initially, the thought there was in the construction of the program was um, if our um, families living in transitional housing were expected to be back in school a certain number of hours a week or um, at work um, once they've stabilized. Um, Childcare is a big gap for that. And so it kind of started as in-house for the residents. Um, but what we quickly realized is um, it, it is more than just um, reducing a barrier to success for the parents. It's also providing an in intentional trauma-informed support for many children who experienced homelessness alongside their parents. And so we really developed a great um, program that focused um, on one, kids getting to be kids, but also two, a little bit extra structure around social emotional learning so that kids are ready to go to kindergarten and thrive alongside their peers. Um, and we are now a fully licensed plus program by the state of New Hampshire, which means we meet the highest standards of um, curriculum programming for kids. Um, also, um, we opened that program to the public in the late 2000s. Um, and um, my understanding is that we are um, the least expensive, if not amongst the least expensive options in the city of Nashua. Um, and we only charge what state scholarship will pay for. So, so you have um, opened your, even though you are Marguerite's place, you're open to families from, uh, you know, from throughout the community. Is that right? Yes. And that's been really, um, really wonderful for us. Something that's unique is many times our transitional housing families um often come from in Nashua, but sometimes someone will have come from North Country down here to use a recovery program, um, for example, from one of the other mm -hmm. wonderful nonprofits in our community, um, and then um, will relocate to Marguerite's Place as their next step afterwards. But in some ways, some of our transitional housing families are new to Nashua, um, whereas our childcare families seem to be hyper-local. Many walk on foot with their kids every day because we're their local neighborhood center. So that's kind of a really cool opportunity we have to build community within our kind of four to six block radius. That's great. Yeah, child care is such an important need in our community. I think um, anybody who has um, you know children in that you know birth through say when they enter you know pre-k or kindergarten age group will will tell you it's hard to find. 
It's expensive for mm-hmm. people at almost any economic almost any economic bracket, mm-hmm. and it's your child, right? So you know you you you, you got to be a little bit particular about what you're doing because you know no you don't want to just give your kid over like you know to some random like it's scary yeah. you know it's your child. So um, I think what you're doing in that space makes a huge difference. Thank you. Yeah. Um, now, your program does involve some volunteers, is that right? Yes. How do people get involved with supporting you through volunteerism? Yeah, so our highest needs tend to be within our child care programs kind of on a weekly basis um, because a lot of the work that happens with our um, resident families is very individualized and um Our residents right now are really thriving, and all 10 out of 10 who live on Palm Street are working full-time. So there's not a whole lot of, you know, midday stuff to be happening because folks are at work, which is great. Um, But within our child care program, um, we are always, um, one, open to folks who have certain activities they want to bring. One of our favorite partnerships right now is the Nashua Music School. They come and Mm -hmm. um, do music class with the kids, so if there are community members who have specific strengths they would like to offer. Um, We have space within our curriculum to build in programming that folks want to bring to us. Um, We also provide um, breakfast, lunch, and snack to all of our kids. We are, um, based on the income level of our families, we are a USDA-funded program, which means they make sure that um, our uh, our kids get healthy food multiple times a day, and that reduces a barrier on our families as well. Um, but we need help preparing that food oftentimes, so we have lunch prep volunteer needs. Um, I believe our open days right now are Wednesday to Wednesdays and Fridays, but um, I can verify that for folks. But um, it's really simple. If you can make scrambled eggs and toast at home, you can probably cook what our meals are for <laughs> toddlers. Mm-hmm. And so That's we, great. we use that volunteer help um, as well. And then our most popular volunteer opportunity within childcare is called baby rocking. And that is, um, we have four little infants right now. And um, sometimes our infant teacher needs an extra pair of hands. So, um, and you would be, you probably aren't surprised, but post COVID, um, folks are so craving that interaction. Um, mm-hmm. And so folks love the opportunity to come hang out with some babies and help out in the classroom uh, once a week. That sounds wonderful. I got to do baby rocking the entire weekend with my grandson. <laughs> so I'm pretty much, you know, a I pro. can relate to that. Absolutely. <laughs> That's awesome. I love that. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, there are opportunities to support you as a financial sp- sponsor as well. Definitely. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, so we're working on, uh, stay tuned, we'll have a, um, Mother's Day um, kind of match campaign. We ha- um, have a major donor who always puts up some money, so we look to the community to support us because um, we like to say every day is Mother's Day at Marguerite's Place. Mm-hmm. That's what we do. Um, and uh, we have a major um, gala event in the fall every year, um, uh, always on um, Columbus Day weekend. Um, and we are um, confident that will be in person this year so um stay tuned for that there uh, may be some things in between now and then but yeah it had to be virtual the last couple years right it did which um we are uh proud of the virtual we were able to do and um i think like many we're ready to be (laughs) back in person if we can yeah no there's there's absolutely that's true nothing beats really that that actually meeting people and doing things Mm. 
Do you find yourself doing more and more stuff out in the out in the community now in person? Yeah, it's kind of funny how the flip switched. I joke with people. I forget how much time you need to drive places when you're used to jumping from Zoom to Zoom. You don't even have to get up to go. It's pretty efficient. It is very efficient. <laughs> I hope there's certain parts of it that um, yeah. will stay. Um, but yes, definitely out in the uh, community a bunch. Grateful to be able to come and do right. things like this today. Um, and also we're um, slowly starting to... Um, get our um, community members of our childcare families and our resident families back together. Um, like everyone, you know, maybe part of the universal experience mm. across our community is that COVID, especially early um, in 2020, was really a isolating time for so many folks. And right. um, before uh, the pandemic hit, we were running all sorts of group programming in person for our families that really bridged all of our programs. Um, uh, parent support group. Um, we were doing community yoga. Um, we were starting to r- launch a whole financial mobility program that um, partnered with a lot of our local banks to come right. and do one-time um, uh, classes and really saw that our families were, um, one, really loving the content we were providing, but perhaps more than anything, the opportunity to um, connect and come together was so huge. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, all this research and study shows that um, when folks can build their own um, community interconnectedness, social capital, then when your kid is sick from work, if you don't have a great relationship with your families or other supports, um, if you have someone to call and you don't have to miss work, then that makes a huge difference for yes. folks be- in, you know, the difference between employment and unemployment. So um, we're really seeing that as one of the Um, niches that we fill for the folks we serve. And so um, we are um, excited to be towing our, um, putting our feet back in the pond and getting back into that, which is exciting. Um, Right now, April will be a whole bunch of fun outdoor events, weather permitting, Um, but um, looking to get back to um, more community-based programming as well, because we are, I think, often known as these kind of two Um, disparate programs, which in our eyes, they are so interconnected. They're part of kind of a holistic way of serving families. Um, And so this group programming is really Mm. a great way to bring folks together as well. That's that's really terrific. I'm glad to hear that all of that is still ongoing and coming back to life too. Yes. So um, now, Hannah, you're not... uh, originally from here from Nashville is that right I'm not I'm uh well good you're in good company because I'm not here from Nashville either so there you go where are you from I'm from uh the long faraway state of Connecticut originally um but come to Nashua by way of uh the Boston area you say long far away state of Connecticut (laughs) I think that's hilarious when I was when I was young my parents and my sister and I, we took a long trip around the country. I grew up in California. Mm. And literally all the way around the country. And when we got to New England, you know, we were visiting my aunt and my grandmother in Manhattan. And then we went actually up through to northern Maine. And along the way, we went through Rhode Island and <laughs> Connecticut and Massachusetts and New Hampshire and into Maine. I'm like counting off states. You know, the whole the whole thing was like 350 miles mm-hmm. right and then in, in california terms that was like driving to la mm-hmm. you know <laughs> it was crazy yeah so it is a, a remarkably tiny little place where we live i've driven across the state of texas before and it's kind of like yeah we're still here um yeah, yeah so yeah i know i took a dr- uh, trip with my kids um out to denver a couple of years ago we did like a crazy road trip over about 
five days like out and back so that's a long a lot of driving but then you hit places like nebraska and it's like am i still here (laughs) there's still corn i must still be here Mm -hmm. so so what's new at marguerite's place anything new that the community should know about these days um we are i one of our challenges recently has been just the volume of need coming out of the pandemic um and um we're at capacity kind of all the time. Um, we are hiring right now for um, child care teachers, so specifically um, uh, uh, lead teacher qualified or associate teacher qualified. Um, and um, we try and be really um, competitive, supportive employers because uh, we know that um, we ask a little bit more of our teachers, and our teachers are um, teaching a population of kids who might have a little bit of extra needs. So um, if you're interested in joining the Marguerite's Place team, it really is a team, and we'd love to have you. Um, and we're um, really um, just focusing right now on scaling back up our community-based programming um, right. with the hope of really thinking about in we started a new strategic plan period in 2022. Um, we're really in a phase of um, figuring out what our next growth opportunity is. Um, we one, I think one of the, um, silver linings of the pandemic, um, and all of this federal stimulus money is there is a lot of opportunity for nonprofits to consider growth and how they can meet the increased need. And so we're really wrestling with is our role to grow for, to provide more childcare slots to the community? Is it more transitional housing slots? Is it more space for community-based programming? So um, uh, disclaimer for any of my board members listening, I'm not saying we are doing any of those things um, yet, but we're kind of figuring out um, without um, reinventing the wheel or stepping on toes because there there is so many amazing nonprofits in Nashua that we really all collaborate with that we're trying to figure out what does Nashua need most and what's our role in providing that? Sure. Where are the gaps mm-hmm. and what can you help to, to grow that makes also sense for you? Sure. That's wonderful. I'm glad to hear that. So we're out of time, Hannah. That how fast. does How does somebody get a hold of you or Marguerite's Place if they are interested in learning more or getting involved? Awesome. Um, our website is www.marguerite'splace.org. Um, my email, I'm H Stoller, S-T-O-H-L-E-R, um, or you can call us 603-598-1582. I am um, always happy to talk um, with anyone. Um, if you know someone who's interested in applying for housing, our application is right on our website. I Wonderful. always recommend people always there to answer questions about it, but it never hurts to apply. So put that in. And for our child care program, you can also call to um, get involved and volunteers, um, please email or call. Um, and we update our Facebook page pretty regularly as well with what our yes, pressing needs are. So that's fantastic. You've been listening to Hannah Stoller, executive director for Marguerite's Place right here in Nashua, um, serving homeless moms for many years now and really uh, helping to fill that that gap um, in need. And if you have any questions, just look them up on Mar- on Google, Marguerite's Place, or marguerite'splace.org. Or if you forget all of that and you just are like driving down the road, and you're like, what was that great organization? <laughs> I don't even remember. Call Mike at United Way. Ask for Mike. Ask for the guy. There's only one Mike. 
and there's only one guy. So um, easy enough, and I'll connect you to to Hannah and her fabulous program. Thank you, Hannah, for coming on today. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So we're going to take another short break, and after the break, we will be back with our next guest, which is my good friend Doug Poirier from Umbral Technologies. A little bit different. We're going to talk about IT stuff. We're going to talk about um, probably viruses and IT vulnerabilities and all sorts of kind of scary techno stuff that um, you need to stay safe um, in these very connected times. So you're listening to the Community Connection Show. I'm your host, Mike Affelberg. Commercial lending at our big bank is a process that begins with AD, that's application data, being sent off to HQ headquarters. Sounds like that could take a while. (laughs) It will. At Franklin Savings Bank, our commercial lending decisions are made locally, resulting in faster loan approvals. Drop into any of our Lakes Region or Southern New Hampshire branches, including Merrimack and Goffstown, to find out what we can do for you. Or visit fsbnh.bank. Franklin Savings Bank. Together, we are community. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. Edgestone Properties is a leading home builder in Southern New Hampshire. With over 33 years experience, Edgestone offers highly valued residential homes, including first-time buyer, luxury move-up, and senior community opportunities. Edgestone also offers well-located rental apartments, including active adult communities. Visit us at edgestoneproperties.com or call us at 603-889-5208 to learn more. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. That's 603-889-5208. Since 1930, United Way of Greater Nashua has been your trusted partner to fight for the health, education, and financial stability of every person in every community. When a low-income child needs access to dental care or parents need quality after-school programs where their kids can learn and be safe, United Way is there. When a person with disabilities needs a supportive day program where they can thrive or a family loses its home and needs a place to regain financial stability, United Way is there. When a homebound senior needs food and supportive social connections or when it comes time to die with dignity, United Way is there. The programs supported by your United Way are the heart and soul of Greater Nashua. When you volunteer or donate to United Way, you lift up the community where you live and you work. As a highly regarded nonprofit with Charity Navigator and GuideStar, you can be sure that your donations will be used for the work of making Greater Nashua stronger, smarter, and safer. Learn more and connect with us at unitedwaynashua.org. Well, good Monday morning. You're listening to the Community Connections Radio Show. I'm your host, Mike Affelberg. It is Monday, March 21st, 2022. So that's like all sorts of twos in that one. A three, two, one, two, two. And um, we have in the studio with us our second guest who's um, been on the show a couple times before. It's my friend Doug Poirier. He is the founder and owner of Umbral Technologies, an IT firm that specializes in all sorts of, well, we're just going to say IT stuff. And Doug's going to talk a little bit more about what he does, but also we're going to talk a little bit about backups and remote support and viruses and bad stuff that can happen on your computer systems. That sound about right, Doug? It sounds great. Thanks for having me back. It doesn't sound great. It sounds terrible. Oh, it is great. You want to be safe. You want to be able to sleep at night, right? Yeah. Well, if that could help me sleep at night, I would definitely. <laughs> well, you don't want to stay up thinking yeah. about it, right? Yeah, so, it's true. If that's off your mind. It's true. So tell us a little bit about Umbral Technologies. What do you do? How long you've been doing this? And, you know, what's uh, what sub- services do you offer? Wow. So um, we've been around for 20 years now. And um, our, our specialty right now um, 
which I see for the foreseeable future, is cybersecurity. It's really an area that's blown wide open for us, and there's a huge need for it. So we focus on going into organizations and locking them down, getting them a good antivirus, making sure that they have a good backup and disaster recovery, making sure that data is encrypted, uh, make sure that they have a safe remote access plan, making sure that they have a WISP, which is a written IT security policy, and the list goes on and on and on. But uh, you know, the easy way to say it is we go in, we make you safe, we make you secure so that you can do business without being attacked. So you don't have to worry about that stuff, which can really shut you down without you even thinking about it. And you don't even really need to much think about it. Right. Yeah. And, and there's a lot to it. It's, there's so much. And we've talked about uh, a lot of things before. But if you want to focus on antiviruses, that I think that's a good one. You want to focus on backups, we could talk about that. I think a real easy one to focus on is passwords, right? I mean, if, if I was going to say to your audience today, one of the things that you can do to protect were you gonna yourself. Share, were you going to share over the radio your passwords? Uh, I sure. Sure. If you, if you so. believe that that's what they are, I don't. I don't. They're so long. I don't even know what they are. They're, they use a a, a a program called LastPass. It's not like Doug's birthday was. <laughs> no, March no, 14th. I don't use any simple passwords anymore. Most of them are at least uh, twenty characters, alphanumeric. You know, uppercase, lowercase. Uh, so you use character. a special program to sort of generate passwords for you, rather than like choosing them right, yourself. Right. Right. So. You know, the only one that you really have to remember is the one getting into your computer, right? So for all your accounts, for your email, for your bank account, for any of your accounts, you just use uh, a program like LastPass and generate a password, and it remembers it for you, and it auto-populates. And LastPass is an encrypted program, so it's not easy for your passwords to get stolen from that mechanism, whereas most people keep all their passwords on a spreadsheet and or worse written right next to their computer which makes it very easy to steal and a lot of times the the biggest thing that i see is people will use the same password over and over and over for years and why that is so dangerous is because if any of the websites that you ever visit get compromised now that password's out there it's usually associated with your email account and they'll try it and everything they'll try it in you know your email whether it's gmail or microsoft and they'll try it on everything that they can possibly conceivably guess that you might use. And that's how a lot of breaches happen. I'm getting a stomach ache. Uh, yeah, right. So a lot of people do these things. That's yeah. I, and it's an easy thing to fix. LastPass is uh, for the personal version, I think is $30 a year. Run out, go online, buy it, and start putting all your passwords in it. Regenerate you know, complex passwords and you will feel a lot better. And the cool thing about LastPass, and there's so many other programs, I know I'm harping on LastPass, but there's a lot of other programs that do the same thing is that it's, it's, uh, you know, kind of browser agnostic. So it'll plug into any browser you can use it on your phone so you can use it anywhere and it's, it's encrypted and it's very safe. Um, and it's very affordable and easy to use and there's no reason not to use it. So whether you're doing this for personal uses or for business, it just seems to like that probably makes a whole heck of a lot of sense. It does. It does. If you have yeah. if you have a business and you have all your passwords in a spreadsheet, you need to do this yesterday. Mm -hmm. Okay. <clears throat> so that's passwords. Password protection. Pretty easy to do. Just got to do it. What about um, what about in general viruses? Now, one of the things that I I've had people ask me about is like, what are the Russians up to these days? Right. You so know, which, which really... I don't know what the Russians are up to, other than you know always bad stuff. That's a really but, good question. But yeah. Um, so like, how does that affect us? How does what Russia's sure. doing? Are they even attacking us right now? Is that what your questions are? So the answer, I don't know. Are so they? the answer is there's <clears throat> two sides to that, right? So they've always been out there doing stuff with the government and and attacking people and trying to to 
you know, get money and use ransomware, just like the North Koreans, just like Iran, you know, all these state players are always out there doing stuff. But when it comes to Russia and China, they mostly focus on government and they've always been doing it. They've always been stealing stuff. There was a huge breach uh, December of 2020. And um, they broke into what was then called SolarWinds, and that gave them access to Microsoft and, and also access to many, many government agencies. So it's very easy for them to, to break in and, and do stuff. So the real question is, what are they doing now? Are they doing stuff? So I have a lot of colleagues that work in federal agencies, and to the extent that I can you know, even repeat anything that they say, I can tell you that their efforts have stepped up. There's no doubt. They're, they have a presence, they're feeling it, and they're fighting them actively. Um, what they're doing, what they're taking, the damage they're doing, I don't know. That was never disclosed to me. But that's not just something for government people to worry about, though, right? No, I, you know, so that's a, that's a really good question, too. So, it's, like, let's say, you're, let's say you're a local church pastor, you know, should you worry? Should you worry about your systems getting infiltrated or hacked? you should always what worry? What if you so run a even, nonprofit? You know these types of things. Even if even if Russia Ukraine wasn't on our radar right now, uh, nonprofits are one of the largest targets for ransomware and um, fraud and phishing. There's because there's a lot of money there and there's a lot of volunteers and the security tends to be very very weak and it's very easy to trick someone into sending money to the wrong account or you know getting ransomware to an email that infects the computers and forcing them to pay so if you are a nonprofit, you really need to take a look at your security like really need to look at your security and i will say this a lot of people know this but a lot don't if you get an email that's a phishing email or it's not maybe you don't know it's it's a phishing email but if you get an email that says hey my account has changed please send money to this new account via ach pick up the phone and call that person. And don't use the number in the email. Use the number you've always contacted them with mm-hmm. because that that will save you a lot of problems and it stops a lot of that type of phishing uh, from working. Yeah, and I've seen some very, very credible-looking phishing emails. It looks like, oh, Bank of America. It really looks like they're using their logo. They're using... You know all the right words, and you're like, well, I don't think that they're actually. Asking so I've got a fishing story for you. So this this happened to a client of mine, and that's fishing ph, not with an f, right? That's correct. Okay, so, <laughs> so let's talk about your fishing story, Doug. I caught this big fish. Amazing. Um, so he got an email from uh, one of his vendors, and they they said, "Hey, our accounts have changed. Uh, just wanted to let you know." And then they got a follow up email a day later from the same account saying, hey, I talked to my boss. If you pay this, we'll give you a 10% discount, which for him amounted to almost $10,000. The worst part about it is that they included a third party who my client knew and was on the phone with. And that third party said, hey, this is a great deal. You should pay this. So they got this external validation. But the email and everything that in it was perfectly crafted, which suggested that the email was actually, uh, an email account was compromised. This email was then taken and then crafted specifically to attack this particular person. This is how clever they are. And they're really good at it. I mean, they're really, really good at it. And I hear this all the time. And and I think this is a fallacy um, that I'm too smart. I would never fall for that. This is not about intellect. I can't stress that enough. What it is, is they wait for you to be tired. 
or distracted. And if you're an accountant or you're in that industry right now today, you're exhausted. And can you imagine one of these coming in from one of your clients saying, oh, by the way, make that payment to this account instead. And maybe it doesn't go to the accountant. Maybe it goes to his assistant. Maybe that person's exhausted. And then that happens. And this is how they get us over and over and over again. And that is specifically called social engineering with regards to phishing emails. Right. So how do you stop it, right? So here's, there's a couple of ways. So there's two things you can really do. You can get a great filter for your email, all right? There's a couple of great companies out there that I use. I use uh, AppRiver. I also use, um, what's it called? Uh, Proofpoint. And I use another one that's specifically for, um, for phishing emails. So we, we'll usually put two filters on an email system to catch them. But the thing about this is, is some of them can be so well-crafted and they can be so intelligent about it. They can get through the filter. So how mm-hmm. do you get those ones? And their real easy answer mm-hmm. to that is education, education, education. And that there are all kinds of cool training programs out there. And there are uh, programs that will, will test your people on a monthly basis. And what we found is just by keeping it on the forefront of people's minds, yeah. it reduces the likelihood that someone's going to click on one of those emails. Yeah, that's probably uh, that's probably true. I can get that. Now, what, what happens if you do click on one, and like, like it's the ACH one, for example, yep. and you say, change your, give us your new account, checking account, because, you know, we've changed or whatever, and you do that, and your money goes somewhere else. Well, can't you just get it back? No. Well, why not? It's your money. So typically these guys are Can very you, clever. That's kind of a rhetorical question. Right. So there, there are some banks that have mechanisms like yeah. this. Like they'll put, if it's a huge amount of money, and every bank is different, they'll put it in kind of like a holding place for like 24 to 48 hours before it actually moves. And But that's rare. A lot of times what happens is the money goes out and that's it. It's done. And by the time it hits their account, they're waiting for it. They convert it to Bitcoin and then it's gone forever. It goes very quickly. So if you make that mistake, chances are you are not getting that money back. Yep. Or if you give the information to somebody else, you're not going to get like the donation, right? You got a donor, their major donor, a corporation. They say, you know, we've changed and uh, give us your information. And then the money goes somewhere else. Or you don't get the money. So the rules are different for credit cards than they are for bank transfers, right? So if if it's fraud and it's a credit card, you're probably going to get your money back. All right, pretty quickly. I mean, the bank might not get their money back, yeah. but they're insured for that kind of thing. But if you make a bank transfer and that money's gone, the only thing you can do to protect yourself is have cyber insurance, right? right. And we should probably talk about that, right? Let's do that. So but one thing, one sec quick though on the credit cards is, so a good rule, I'm, I'm thinking a good thing to do there is just make sure you check your credit card statement every day. Yes. And and if the bank happens to call you that runs the credit card for you and say, we've seen some suspicious, suspicious activity, pay attention to that notification. Yeah, absolutely. I have a friend over the weekend posted something on Facebook. She got notified by her bank that they noticed some suspicious activity on her credit card. What was suspicious? That she had joined a gym. She thought that was pretty darn funny. <laughs> <laughs> Where was the, was the gym local or was it in it was another lo- state? It was a local gym and oh, she'd wow. actually joined it. And she, she just thought, well, isn't that ironic that my bank thinks it's fraudulent that I joined a bank? They, they know my, my physical activity and, <laughs> so, and my eating habits. Social engineering, baby. Yeah. Okay, so yeah, let's talk about insurance. All right, so the landscape of cyber insurance is changing. So the, the first thing I would say to you is if you already have it and you've recently renewed your policy and it didn't go up much or didn't go up at all, make sure you read it 
because a lot of times what they're doing is they're lowering the amount of cyber insurance that are on is in your general policy. So you want to make sure that you have the same level of protection you did last year or that you have actually have more. And the amount of protection you need really differs be, between industry to industry and how much money your 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 business is doing. And that's a conversation, you know, for your insurance person, but um you know, in terms of cyber insurance specifically, the thing that's really happening is what we're finding is that they don't want to pay out on these things if if you are not being responsible. So in, in the past, the general feel was, it's like, look, if I've got antivirus and I'm doing my updates and I've got backup and cyber insurance, I'm covered if something happens. And that's no longer necessarily the case. If If you are breached and you are not taking the right precautions, they will they will reduce the amount that they pay out or not pay out at all sometimes so the a good analogy for this is is if you leave the ignition in your car and you know turned on and the keys are in the car and it gets stolen you know you're you're responsible for that right the insurance company's not necessarily want going to want to pay that out they may i don't know but if you leave the the you know doors to your house open and you're not there for two three days you know stuff's going to get stolen so you are now being held responsible for your actions so when it comes to your business and cybersecurity specifically they want to make sure you have antivirus they want to make sure you have an email filter they want to make sure that you're using two-factor authentication on your email and that's a big one that's a big one they will ding you if your email is is compromised um your email account specifically they're they're going to fight you to have to pay out anything yeah, I. Um, it's like any other kind of insurance, right? You know, insurance companies are wanting to make sure that they're not insuring s- stupid. Right. Well, I mean, they're in the business to be profitable. Of and, course they are. And, you know, I hate to defend them, but, you know, in 2020, they paid out $3 for every dollar they took in in cyber insurance. It was an, a huge loss. We're hmm. billions and billions of dollars. And so now they're like, look, you know, we'll insure you, but you have to protect yourself. We're not, you know, we're not here just to be this umbrella policy because you decide you want to be careless. Um, and it's hard for a lot, especially small businesses, because they don't know what to do. They don't, you know, it's mm-hmm. a, an affordability thing. Like cybersecurity is not cheap. You know, if I come in and I'm your cybersecurity guy, it's not cheap. You know, you can have us as doing your general maintenance, but it's not the same thing. And the price is vastly different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it probably depends on the type of business you're in as well. Yes. Lot, oh, yeah. I'm sure a lot. Yep. You know, so there some some businesses have more regulation, like obviously uh, healthcare has HIPAA, and so they've they've had to been, you know, had to have been locked down for a long time. But what what I generally find is they're not usually locked down as much as they should. Healthcare companies and they get dinged right out of the gate because they should be right. But if you think of yourself, but and that would be logical to think of healthcare and you know security and privacy and all that. But maybe you own a um, auto repair shop and you think well all i do is change out tires and do oil changes and and like so how could cybersecurity affect me well you probably use a computer you probably do all your transactions on your computer you probably have your customer database on your computer you got to be looking at this stuff you know i was i was writing just the other day uh about this and you know what business doesn't use a computer and you need to ask yourself this. You know, when I was doing my writing, I was basically, I'm trying to teach and I'm trying to educate people on why they need cyber insurance yep. and cyber security. You need to ask yourself, what does my technology do for me? You know, Absolutely. Um, yeah, we run out of time. We're out of time, Doug. Yeah. Doug, how does somebody get a hold of you? Um, info at umbralit.com. U-M-B-R-A-L. 
umbrellit.com. Umbrellit, Doug Poirier, a real expert in this field. I appreciate you coming on the show with us, talking about this really important stuff with us today. Thank you for having me. All right, my friend. And you have listened to the United Way Community Connection Show. We'll be back next Monday with another great show, some more great interviews at 9 a.m. I'm your host, Mike Affelberg. Have a great week. And don't forget, please remember to be kind to another, one another because great things really do happen when we live united. Exchange for safe passage of civilians out of the southeastern port city on Monday morning. Overnight, Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas was hospitalized with flu-like symptoms. 73-year-old Thomas was admitted to Sibley Memorial Hospital in Washington, part of the Johns Hopkins Health System on Friday night. Tests show he has an infection, and he's been receiving intravenous